Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called The Dial and the Switch, Recognizing the Moments of God's Special Visitation, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, February the 18th, 2007. The Dial and the Switch is a guest essay by Pam Fickensher. Pam is a pastor of Edina Community Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota, and she has a forthcoming essay called Everything I Needed to Know About Postmodern Ministry, I Learned Mountain Biking, which will appear in the Christian Century in March. The Dial and the Switch by Pastor Pam Fickensher. The first two chapters of Luke's Gospel read like a Broadway musical with people continually breaking into song. All the major themes of Luke are there. The power of the Spirit, good news to the poor, the joy of the Lord, the fulfillment of prophecy. Many scholars suspect that this part of Luke was in fact a prologue, or in modern terminology, a so-called prequel Luke, according to this theory, started out telling his story with John the Baptist in chapter 4. But when he got to the end of the gospel, he thought it best to go back and do a little explaining about where this Jesus had come from. Read like this, Luke's story of the transfiguration in chapter 9, 28 to 36, is that much more startling. There are plenty of signs of Jesus' anointing in chapters 3 through 9, but nothing in the realm of heavenly choruses. At Jesus' baptism, we only know that there was a voice from heaven, but there's no indication that anyone besides Jesus heard it. He's simply one of the crowd baptized by John when the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Even so, you'd think that the events at the Transfiguration would not have been so startling to Peter, James, and John. Surely they had seen enough miracles from Jesus by now to have some suspicion who it was they were dealing with. You'd think, bit by bit, they would have come to the realization that Jesus was the Messiah. But Luke makes it clear that they simply had not been paying that much attention. We read in chapter 9, verse 32 of Luke, Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. Luke has not warned us before that this was taking place at night, so this might be more than physical drowsiness at work. The disciples have been weighed down with the kinds of cares that keep them from seeing clearly what is right before their faces. Now, though they are still sleepy, Peter, James, and John are awake enough to see Jesus' glory. Staying awake is usually an Advent theme in the church liturgical year. But it's no accident that this text about the Transfiguration appears every year as we head into Lent as well. If it took the dazzling Transfiguration of Jesus before their very eyes to wake these apostles up, 
What will it take for us to see God's presence in our own lives? What are the signs in our world that we regularly overlook because we're simply too weighed down with other things? And why, when we're finally given the opportunity to wake up, do we so often misinterpret the meaning of these revelations? As our world becomes increasingly aware of climate change, specialists in the field talk of the dial and the switch. Scientists agree that the mean temperature is rising, and all that remains to be seen is the degree of change and its impact in each part of the world. Although the global thermostat may behave as if a hand were turning it up at a steady but glacial pace, not every ecological change will occur as if on a dial, one step at a time. Some local ecologies and some species will respond as if a switch had been flipped, and it will seem as if the change had occurred overnight. One year, a species of bird will migrate. The next, it won't. One year, the salinity of the ocean will support the sea life we're accustomed to. The next year, as Arctic ice melts, it will not. That the dial is turning, no serious scientist disputes. The question for all of us, however, is when does the switch flip? Theologians describe this difference with the biblical terms chronos and kairos. Kronos is the dial, the constant ticking of clock time which we can measure and track at any given moment. Use an atomic clock or a sundial, whatever. Kronos is steady and will help you get your bearings at any time. Kairos, however, is more like the switch on the wall in a dark room you've never entered before. You don't know for sure it's there until the light is on or at least until your groping fingers gets your hold on it. The fullness of time, the special moment of God's visitation, the biblical writer calls it, when the time is right. That's Kairos. This Transfiguration Sunday is the Kairos moment when Jesus' revelation moves into another mode altogether. The season of Epiphany has been about the light going on, about revelation as we've moved from the earthly places of stable and river, weddings and fishing boats, to this transfiguration mountain. The Kairos light is startling, beautiful, and sometimes enthralling, but on this mountain it is revealed that Jesus' mission will take him still further to the valley of the shadow of death. The heavenly light breaks our darkness, but it also makes the shadows grow longer. The switch is flipped, and what we see is a world not at all ready to accept good news for the poor in the year of the Lord's favor. Still, the Kairos moment of transfiguration is a gift an alarm clock reminiscent of Paul's words that we annually hear on Ash Wednesday from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 and 2. As we work together for him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you. 
and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Now we see Christ's presence among us. Now we see that this one who has had the power to heal others will remain faithful to the law and the prophets, that he will do what must be accomplished, even though it will mean suffering for him. Now we are called to awaken to Christ's presence among us and to follow him to all the places he has promised to be. Among the least of these, the poor, the sick, and the imprisoned. May we learn to say, as those apostles did on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, how good to be here. The Dial and the Switch by Pastor Pam Fickenscher. And for further reflection, Pam offers three questions. What have been the Kairos moments in your journey with Jesus? What weighs you down with sleep and keeps you from seeing Christ's presence with you, from seeing the necessity of suffering and following him? And finally, what do you imagine was the conversation on the Mount of Transfiguration between Moses, Elijah, in Jesus. For books this week, I reach back 70 years to George Bernanos, The Diary of a Country Priest, first published in 1936 and since then published by any number of different publishing houses. The year 2006 marked the 70th anniversary of George Bernanos's powerful tale of a young and earnest Paris priest in rural France who feels that he's a total failure. From the merely human perspective, the priest is not mistaken. As is fitting, we never learn his name. The entire novel is a diary in which the priest confides his doubts and loneliness, his sense of futility, struggles with a sense of vocation, powerlessness in the face of suffering, clashes with clergy colleagues, the history of his own family dysfunction, and even disgust with his own body due to chronic stomach pains and an impoverished diet. He knows he is physically clumsy and socially awkward. He describes his parishioners as bored, boring and petty. They gossip about him as a secret drinker and a womanizer, both of which are laughable. The priest loves his flock. He visits every home every year, and he prays for them. He has a keen sense of history and his own obscure role to play. He's an astute observer of the weakness, frailty, and fallenness of human nature especially his own. By the time he dies of stomach cancer at a young age, Bernanos has painted a portrait of what we realize is a genuine saint. On his deathbed at the end of the book, the young priest confesses 
does it matter? Grace is everywhere. Every person in ministry ought to read this book, but perhaps not until you turn 50 or so. George Bernanos, The Diary of a Country Priest. For film this week, I review Sir, No, Sir from the year 2005. Talk about brave soldiers. This documentary film tells the stories of the thousands of active duty GIs and retired veterans, both at home and far away in Vietnam, who agitated to end the war in Southeast Asia. Their means were many. A network of coffee houses, a full-page ad in the New York Times signed by 1,400 active-duty soldiers, 300 underground newspapers, sit-ins, public marches, pirate radio, petitions, refusal to go on patrols, and even the practice of what was known as fragging, killing their superior officers by rolling a fragment grenade into their tent. Many of these soldiers of conscience spent considerable time in prison. The original film footage of the Vietnam War and personal interviews with veterans who explain why they did what they did are deeply moving. These first-hand witnesses knew the truth about war, the degradation, propaganda, government lies, cynicism, torture, and how war might turn some boys into men but it turns far more people into animals. I watch this film with a deep sense of gratitude. Popular history makes fun of Jane Fonda, but consider this. In this film, you'll see that her audience included not just leftist hippies, but 60,000 active duty soldiers who agreed with her. According to this film, the Pentagon documented 503,926, quote, incidents of desertion, end quote. After watching this film, read the book by Chris Hedges under the title, War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning. Sir No Sir, a documentary on the Vietnam War from the year 2005. And finally this week, we've posted a poem by the Scottish poet Edwin Murr. Edwin Murr lived from 1887 to 1959. He was a poet and critic born in Deerness, Orkney Island, Scotland. The title of his poem is Abraham. The rivulet loving wanderer Abraham through waterless wastes tracing his fields of pasture, led his Chaldean herds and fattening flocks with the meandering art of wavering water that seeks and finds yet does not know its way. He came, rested and prospered and went on, scattering behind him little pastoral kingdoms and over each one its own particular sky. 
not the great rounded sky through which he journeyed that went with him, but when he rested changed. His mind was full of names, learned from strange peoples speaking alien tongues, and all that was theirs one day he would inherit. He died content and full of years, though still the promise had not come, and left his bones far from his father's house in alien Canaan. Abraham by Edwin Murr. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, February the 18th, 2007. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.